All right, we're live. Uh, I would say this is a special episode of Monero Talk since we uh, have a pretty big panel here of of important uh, doers and shakers in the Monero space. Uh, today on the show, we have Howard Chu, Need Money 90, and Tevador. Uh, if you guys don't mind, uh, I'd, I'd rather you guys each do your a quick little intro here so I don't kind of uh, misdescribe you. Uh, so if you could kind of go around, uh, maybe Tevador, we could start with you. Okay, so um, basically, I guess the main developer of Random X. Uh, the code is located in my repo on uh, GitHub, uh, and we're I guess we're a little team of like three people discussing. I'm doing most of the coding. Okay, Howard, you want to give a quick intro? All right, so I'm Howard Chu. Um, I actually came up with the random proof of work idea that uh, you know evolved eventually into random X um, and uh, you know I've done other stuff in the Monero project I, I lead the open LDAP project and do a lot of open source development thank you yeah for anybody that wants to learn more about Howard we also did an episode with him quite a while ago now but uh, I thought it was a great one uh, need money 90 you want to give us your uh, your background yeah uh, I'm a moderator in the Monero community I've been around for a while uh, started the XMR Trader subreddit, among other things. Um, over the past month, I've been heavily involved in the proof of work discussion, talking to developers and exchange representatives and uh, all sorts of people to just try and get an idea of where everybody's head's at. So that's, that's why I'm here. Yeah, thanks to the three of you for coming on. Need Muddy 90, it's finally uh, nice to put, put a face to the name. I've seen you. Uh, or uh, read 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 you on uh, on Reddit and elsewhere, and uh, heard you on the Monero Coffee Chat podcast quite a bit, but never saw the face. Um, yeah, I guess today basically what I wanted to do was kind of go over what transpired on Sunday. Um, I know that is the culmination, as you said, need money of of I guess months of discussion. But if we could kind of get into that. And really, my first question would be, just to kind of simplify things, is what really came out of that meeting? And is there kind of a plan moving forward that came out of that meeting? Have we kind of reached consensus, so to speak, among the developers as what steps we'll be taking in terms of uh, moving ahead with um, thwarting ASICs or whatever it may be with, with keeping the mining network uh, fair and distributed? Is there a plan that we will now be uh, taking action on. So I don't know if I uh, need money. You want to start yeah. off with that one? Yeah, so I, I would say consensus is definitely settled in some areas and in others, it's uh, fairly ambiguous as to what, what we're going to be doing. Um, I, I would say the consensus is fairly solid on moving to random acts in October pending audits. And that's the big thing. Uh, we, we need to be able to both fund and uh, have, a, have a code freeze fund audits and make sure that there's no actual serious issues with it. And if we can't get that funding and we can't uh, audit the thing before October, we're going to have to push it back a bit. Um, but if, if everything does work out as expected, uh, then we should be moving to random X in October. 
Okay, so so current uh, path is to implement RandomX in October if it's audited by then um, and everybody's happy with that audit. And then I guess also there was talk about the switch to SHA-3. Um, so is the community, did they decide on that, whether or not that is something that uh, we're going to prepare for or is it just uh, we implement RandomX and see what happens? So there is some serious issues uh, with the the current system that we've been using, and uh, there's a large number of people in the community who I would describe as uh, idealists, and there's also a large block of people in the community that are GPU miners, and both of them are opposed to a, sw a switch away from a proof of work algorithm that favors uh, commodity hardware. Specifically, the GPU miners want GPU mining hardware. Uh, but their interests haven't been particularly represented in the community at this point. Um, the, the general consensus is that they're here for profit. They made an investment. And I'm, I'm sorry if we fork away from your hardware, but uh, that the protocol's not here to protect your bottom line. Um, as far as the ASIC argument goes, as far as I'm aware, there there are zero core developers and nobody close to the development of the protocol that is willing to continue on forking every six months. That's that is the unfortunate reality of the situation, and this is due to support concerns. If if we do protocol tweaks, suddenly we have uh, wallet developers, we have API developers, blockchain explorers, exchanges, everybody going and asking for support. Uh, we need the translations team to be able to finalize anything in the code. We need code freezes so we can actually do audits, bug checking. Uh, testing needs to be done on clients. We need to do the build process. E everything is pointing towards six months being completely unsustainable for the developers, and they they cannot keep up at this pace. Um, so un unfortunately, any solution that the community is going to come to just based on reality is going to have to be able to fit into a one-year fork schedule. And if it doesn't, then we, we cannot realistically follow that path. Um, so right now, the consensus on uh, the, the most prudent thing to do, if we have a one-year fork schedule, um, if ASICs get taped out in three or four months, then we're going to have secret ASICs on the network for I don't know, two thirds, three quarters of the amount of time that a proof of work is around. And that means that whether we like it or not, we're, we're embracing ASICs. If, if RandomX does not actually manage to retain ASIC as a resistance. Um, so and, just on, yeah. on the question of SHA-3 though, is, is there gonna be a commitment uh, going into it that if RandomX fails, we're switching to SHA-3? Or is there gonna be that pre-commitment? Uh, we cannot has... make a pre-commitment at this point. Uh, if it's not put at the protocol level, then it's going to be up for discussion with the current set of developers and community that happen once that event actually occurs. Right now, the most that we can do is project our current intentions. Okay, uh, Howard and uh, Tevador, do you guys have um, any comment on that, on this concept of whether or not there should be this pre-commitment? Uh because uh, I, I did hear some interesting arguments as to why you may want to do that. I think Fluffy Pony had mentioned, uh, you know, a, a, as a way to prevent a kind of a first mover advantage for ASIC manufacturers. So by pre-committing, it eliminates that first mover advantage. So do you guys have any comment on that? Howard, do you want to? Yeah. 
Sure, I've got a few thoughts on that. First of all, um, you know, it's like saying we're we have a crystal ball and we can predict the future. You know, six months or a year from now, shot three might not be a good choice. You know, there might be a stronger algorithm. There might be a you know research paper published saying, oh, we figured out how to make shot three a hundred times easier to crack. You know, any of these things could happen, right? So. Um, Pre-committing to a change is one thing. Pre-committing to a specific algorithm such as SHA-3, I think, is uh, unwise. Right. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah. So, we, we have said, you know, we obviously do need a fallback plan. If RandomX gets deployed and then, you know, the network gets owned within three months, you know, we obviously need to have uh, a plan in place for that possibility. Right. Um, so yeah, uh, pre-committing saying, yes, we are going to have an ASIC-friendly algorithm as a fallback. I mean, that makes sense. You know, if, if we all fall flat on our face, then yeah. we do need a fallback. That, that is the general consensus is if, if we're going to have to have ASICs, whether we like it or not, based off of our fork schedule, then we might as well do something that promotes non-secret ASICs or, or ASICs that have serious improvements uh, that can be made in secret. So what would that what would that plan look like then? So uh, well, SHA three SHA would be one option. Um, it's currently the the best option that we see, but that doesn't preclude some better proof of work algorithm coming up that's easier to make into a chip. Right, but as Howard's saying, but not but we don't pre commit to it. We just see what happens with random X, and then we make the decision there at that point whether or not it's SHA three or something else. Basically, yeah. Um, you know, so there was an argument that if we pre-commit to SHA-3 today, then you know, manufacturers can prepare and they'll, they'll have them in stock for you know, whenever the eventuality arises. But you know, realistically, no manufacturer is going to do that. No manufacturer is going to start building these chips two years in advance, right? First of all, uh, you know, the process technology is going to get better over the course of two years. So any chip they start building today is going to be obsolete by the time you know it comes to sell them, and a manufacturer that waits until the last possible moment to build their chips is going to have a faster chip anyway. So this whole pre-committing to a change two years in advance, I, I think that's just nonsense. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, Tevador, do you have any comments on that? I would just add that um, also another topic was part of the discussion uh, that was. Uh, the definition uh, can you of, talk closer to the mic? Uh, and that was how do we define that random X failed? It was one of the major parts of the discussion. Uh, currently, we don't have actually a reliable estimate about uh, how resistant it might be. We are estimating uh, that possible a random X ASIC might be two or three times more efficient than CPU. This uh, might change in the future. We know that AMD is releasing new chips this summer. Uh, we haven't tested those chips. It's the new generation of AMD Ryzen chips. We're expecting uh, that those chips might be even more efficient than 
the most efficient CPUs we have tested so far. So this might also change uh, the expected ratio a little bit. Uh, but the general consensus was uh, that RandomX would be considered as a failure if the ratio is closer to 10x between CPU and basic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, do you guys have an opinion? Well, I guess two questions then. So an opinion on whether or not is it a failure uh, if it's 2x, 3x, 10x, and how do we even know ASICs have actually entered the network? I think there's some discussion there as well, I guess. Uh, the idea being if we see hash rate go up, but price stays steady, is it, is that really the indicator or are there other indicators? How do we know when RandomX actually fails if it does fail in the future? Uh, that is currently non-consensus. I'm, I'm happy to go and discuss that on this show, though I think this is more about hashing out what the, what the current community's views on the subject are. Um, right now, we don't really have a reliable indicator of uh, what would constitute a failure of RandomX. Uh, Howard has stated, I believe it was Howard, that um, we could, uh, for example, if uh, these ASICs were used in heating, um, you could get, and it was two times more efficient for the best ASIC possible, then your uh, heating bill would be reduced by 50%. So even a 2x ASIC could potentially be useful if it actually gets integrated into infrastructure, which was an interesting proposal. I think that was Arctic Mine. That, uh... Uh, that, that was Arctic Mine? Okay. Yeah. Howard, do you have a, a, an opinion there on how we know if, when, if random X fails, how we know it has failed? Uh, yeah, you know, again, our best estimate was, you know, if one, if we start seeing... Uh, GPU miners leaving the network in droves, you know, that's going to be a fairly strong indicator. Um, and, you know, the indicator this past time around with Kryptonite version 2 was that the hash rate spiked up even though the price wasn't moving. You know, because ordinarily when the network is behaving properly, the hash rate follows the price. Right? So um, the fact that the hash rate was increasing even though the price was uh, stagnant you know, that told us something was wrong. Um, so those, those are the strongest indicators, right? Uh, you know, we had random anonymous leakers, you know, contacting people privately saying that they knew that certain ASICs existed, okay? And now we obviously can't count on that information uh, being given to us every time. But, you know, th there are you know, different channels that information comes across. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention on, you know, on this particular point of, you know, you know we, we won't really know the, the true efficiency of an ASIC unless we, you know, unless we have one in our hands when we're measuring its power usage at the wall, right? Um, and, you know, it, it would be possible, for example, okay, right now, today, the most power efficient kryptonite miner is an AMD Ryzen family processor, okay? Um, I mean, the GPUs are pretty good, but, but, but on a hash per watt basis, I think the CPU actually is the winner right now. Um, and, you know, somebody could come along and say, well, I figured out how to put 256 of these Ryzen chips on a single motherboard. 
okay, and that would blow the hash rate out of the water, uh, it wouldn't actually be more efficient, power efficient, than anything that anybody else could get their hands on. It would just be such a huge concentration of hash power in one, one place, right? And we also can't tell the difference between that and a more efficient ASIC. And we can't tell the difference between just throwing an awful lot of power at it versus a very efficient power at it. So does that essentially mean we, it, we never kind of get over the issue of the deepest pockets have an advantage? Yeah, oh, that's totally true. You know, that, that, will, that advantage will always be there. You know, and, and economies of scale are, are what they are. You know, um, uh, yeah, so whoever, whoever can afford to slap a thousand CPUs onto a board is going to have the advantage over everybody else. Um, so back to the one of the other questions that came. So if if we do achieve kind of, uh, you know, random X is implemented and then we're only seeing kind of a 2X advantage for an ASIC versus a 10x advantage is that itself still a problem too are we then still going to get taken over by asics even though it's only maybe a 2x or 3x advantage uh that's debatable uh, a lot of people are saying yes that is going to kill other miners um if you look at <clears throat> the ethereum network right now that is their current situation that asics are on their network they are two times more efficient than gpu miners um but that has been the status quo for over a year, right? Uh, so it hasn't driven any GPU miners out yet. You know, GPUs are still the majority miner on their network, um, but it is making the GPU miners unhappy and that's why they're looking at ProgPow, okay? So, uh, you know, like I said, it, it's an open question as to how long that would be viable. Uh, yeah. Um, I want to get into RandomX itself, but before I do, I just kind of want to zoom out too um, and kind of talk about why why we're even doing this in the first place. Obviously, the, the goal is to maintain um, a distributed mining network, um, but it's kind of worked thus far with the our you know proof of work changes every six months. Need money ninety. I know you kind of already touched upon this a little bit, but why can't we just continue down that path? Why can't we just continue to change the proof of work algorithm uh, every six months? Um, why is that definitely a no no? Um, and are there? I think there. There's been some advantages with having updates every six months. Maybe not necessarily proof of work updates. But this this trend where we uh, upgrade the network every six months has seemed to to come with some advantages over other coins uh, such as Bitcoin, where we can you know achieve privacy and fungibility and maintain that as as we evolve. Um, so if we're going to be continuing to evolve and having these network upgrades, why not just continue to to do the proof of work upgrades? And so I guess two questions. Why can't we do proof of work upgrades anymore? And in general, do you guys think upgrading the network for other things like uh, to continue to uh, evolve in terms of uh, uh, maintaining privacy, do you think that's a good thing? Or is that also eventually off the table that we shouldn't be upgrading at all? So, so kind of, uh, 
Yeah, I'm not saying six months uh, forks are off the table entirely, just that there's zero developers that I'm aware of who are willing to work on them right now uh, due to just the amount of stress and amount of time and amount of coordination that it requires. And if you think you can find a development team who's able to do what the current Monero core team is doing uh, in terms of updates, translation, uh, liaison with exchanges, et cetera, and uh, you think that they can do that in a safe way without introducing bugs into the protocol on a six-month fork schedule, be my guest. Like, fi find the devs and do it, because nobody right now is willing to. Howard, uh, do you guys, you yeah, guys have I, I a... Think, I think that's overstating a little bit. You know, people are feeling a bit burned by this last fork because... We moved it forward a month and that threw everybody's schedules off and then it became a last minute scramble instead of you know, having one month to get all the last minute details in place. Um, uh, the previous six month fork, I, I suppose it also had some last minute issues as well. So our track record so far has been, we have not, uh, adhered to a six month schedule with a sane freeze date and all of these other things. Okay. Uh, th that hasn't happened so far. So yeah, there's, there's a lot to be desired on that track record. Uh, but this fork was, you know, unusual because we moved things forward by a month. Right. And if we had not moved things forward by a month, everything else would have been in place at the expected six month date. So you're, you're okay with, with network upgrades. It's not something that we need to, you know, I mean, Bitcoin is always talking about how, how things are ossifying and that's a good thing. Uh, are we entering the ossify, ossification stage or are we going to continue to uh, upgrade our network? It looks to me like we're going to continue upgrading. You know, the Monero Research Lab is still investigating new ways to, you know, uh, save space on transactions, new ways to make transaction verification faster, all of these things. On a six-month schedule? Uh, you know, the research lab doesn't have uh, hard dates, so we don't know when their output will actually be available for use, right? But, you know, clearly, if there's a feature that we can deploy safely that will, you know, reduce the blockchain size, will reduce sync times, you know, we want to use it, right? I would uh, add to this uh, that an upgrade which involves change of the proof of work algorithm is generally more disruptive than a network upgrade which does not change the proof of work. Yeah, I agree. Uh, we're, we're talking about six month proof of work updates. Yeah, why, why is it more disruptive, guys? Because if the proof of work changes, uh, more software needs to be updated. For example, miners, uh, so it's not just the nodes, not just the, the wallet software which needs to be updated. And also the mining algorithm is what secures the network. So uh, any disruption can make the network more vulnerable than if it's just new feature in the protocol. Mm -hmm. 
Are there are there also arguments as to why we would want to do it because or continue to do this because um, it kind of becomes its own form of centralization? So we have a few a few people devs deciding what the new proof of work will be every six months. Is that also uh, some reasoning behind why we may not want to continue to do it? Yeah, um, I, I would say rolling a proof of work change in along with network upgrades uh, kind of creates a compulsory situation where you have to accept the network upgrades along with the proof of work change, um, which I, I think is a point that hasn't really been explored much at this point um, and should probably be discussed more in some GitHub issue. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mean, the the other changes are already essentially mandatory right if you don't accept them you get left behind on the previous chain you know you become xmo or monero classic or whatever which which goes off and dies in an obscure little corner so you know it's already the case that you know the community has to accept the non-proof of work changes you know there really is no choice gotcha all right. So yeah, so from what I'm hearing from you guys and my understanding is so kind of we will continue Monero will continue to do upgrades. Uh it's just we want we want to move away from doing the proof of work upgrades or changes. Um so let's get into uh random X. Uh we have Tevador on who uh is I guess most certainly the expert. Um Tevador, the floor is all yours. You want to just kind of uh, talk about RandomX a little bit, and and Howard, I know obviously you're you were integral in kind of the genesis of it, but uh, Tevador, do you want to just speak about RandomX for a little bit? So, um, RandomX uh, is a successor of RandomJS. It was the original idea started, I believe last year in the spring uh, we started working on a code generator for javascript uh, which would then be used uh, as a proof of work algorithm and we worked on this if i remember correctly for more than six months but we found issues which we were unable to solve the two major issues were, firstly, uh, an ASIC could completely skip the part of generating and parsing JavaScript uh, because the generator, the code which generates the JavaScript code, actually understands the code before it generates the JavaScript. So an ASIC could run just the generator and execute directly the statement tree instead of going through JavaScript. That was the biggest issue. Second issue was that uh, existing JavaScript uh, interpreters are bulky. Uh, we had issues with portability. Uh, I was investigating one JavaScript engine, but it didn't work out very well. We had issues on uh, some ARM platforms. Uh, there were many bugs in it. Even it was the smallest possible engine. It was still about 100,000 lines of code. 
which if you compare this to random x is probably less than 5,000 lights. So from the point of uh, auditability, it's much easier to check 5,000 lines for bugs than 100,000 lines. So we kind of departed from, from this idea. And uh, after some more discussion, we started, I started working on a specification of a virtual machine. So we moved from JavaScript to lower level than uh, JavaScript is very high level language. So we moved closer to the hardware, basically as close to the hardware as possible. So random X, the, the language in which random X programs are generated is basically on the level of machine code. So the instructions, most of the instructions translate one-to-one -to, -one to native machine instructions. So in this case, it's uh, a lot more difficult for an ASIC to, uh, or there's no practical gain from skipping the, the code. Actually, there's no code parser anymore. Now random X code just takes random data and interprets it as code. That's how the, the random X code generator actually doesn't have any logic, uh, which is the biggest difference from random JS where we had a lot of logic to generate the code because the, if you are generating JavaScript, the code must uh, meet the syntax rules of JavaScript or it will not run, it will not compile. Uh, but we designed random X uh, code in such way that there are no syntax rules actually. So any sequence of random bytes gives you a valid program. So this this is how we fixed basically the problem of skipping the, the code pass parser. And also this gives us uh, uh, much lower overhead because the, the compiler, of random X into machine code is very simple uh, because the random X instructions are so low level. So this is the essence of basically how we came up with this idea. Very cool. Uh, yeah, for us non-developers, people who haven't, like how did you even become a part of this? I know, so Howard, I think, I believe you started with the random JS. Uh, then how did it how did it move on to this next stage where Tevador and others got involved? I'm just curious how how those things kind of happen on the uh, in the development world. I think the first uh, proof of concept was from Howard. It was the Rand Prog, which I believe was uh, originally a generator of C code, which was slightly adapted for JavaScript. Uh, so this, this idea I found it very interesting. So I uh, started my own version of it, the more complete generated JavaScript. Like started, I started writing a JavaScript generator from the scratch. Uh, the, my motivation was to use more uh, of these features of JavaScript to generate more comp complex code uh, than just C code. 
so actually the the random js uh, concept is still available on github it's not developed anymore uh, but i think we got to the point where we actually got hashes from from the algorithm so also there are some performance numbers but never continued from that due to the issues i mentioned mm -hmm. Tevin, what's your um so is did you approach this as somebody you were already in the monero community have you been in the american for a long time or is it just that you're somebody who's interested in proof of work and that's what attracted you to this um how did you how'd you start working on this firstly i like the challenge of, of, of uh, designing new this is basically like leading edge technology has not been done before uh, i've been part of the monero community longer time uh, as a miner uh, i became more interested in the proof of work at the beginning of last year when uh, uh, the first uh, batch of asics was discovered uh, to be mining on the network so in that time uh, i became studying actually kryptonite uh, that's when the first uh, Reddit discussions be, uh, began about uh, new ideas about proof of work. So this is what interested me the most. And that's basically how RandomJS uh, development started. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I guess, I guess uh, you know, time will prove whether or not uh, RandomX um, actually is ASIC. Uh, resistant and if it can only be mined essentially most efficiently by CPU but how do you what is what is your gut I mean obviously you know you think you're you're hoping that that this will work uh what are your kind of your your deepest thoughts on this um where do you where do you see it going uh once we implement random x Well, it's hard to guess. Uh, basically, the way I'm, I'm developing Random X, or we are developing Random X, not just uh, not with the primary idea of uh, being ASIC resistant, but to to have an algorithm which is for which the CPU is the best possible hardware, or which runs. Uh, on the CPU in such way that leaves very little room for optimization. This is basically the best you can do. Uh, I've looked at many uh, attempts at ASIC resistance. Every time uh, the main premise is that ASIC cannot do something efficiently and they build the proof of work around it. Uh, and many times this has proven to be not true because usually it's uh, the person developing the the algorithm is a software developer doesn't have any experience with chip design uh, etc so we are looking at randomx from the opposite direction we are developing it to be 
the perfect algorithm for the CPU and we're hoping this is enough. This is basically the best thing you can hope for. Uh, if this is not enough, probably, then we have to conclude that it's impossible to uh, to win this uh, ASIC resistance competition. <laughs> it's an exciting experiment. Howard, uh, how are you feeling about it these days? Uh, so obviously you uh initiated all this with with random js uh it's evolved into random x um what's your what's your current take well uh as i've said in a couple other forums you know the the basic approach is sound you know we we know for sure uh that we can prevent asics with a 1000x efficiency advantage we know for sure we can prevent a 100x advantage. Okay, that's that's just based on you know the the structure of an ASIC, what it can optimize versus what a CPU can perform. Right, the fact that you know we force whatever machine executes this algorithm uh, is required to have an instruction fetcher and an instruction decoder means that it's already doing you know, 40 or 50% of what a CPU must do. Okay, so right off the top, you know, those multiple order of magnitude advantages disappear. So, you know, we are really only talking about, you know, can they get to be 3x or can they get to be 4x or can they get to be only 2x? And, and you know, these, these are, at this point, we're talking very fine degrees of efficiency, you know, compared to the 1,000, X that we were seeing with, you know, uh, Kryptonite version zero and all of that, right? Um, so, you know, the, the question, you know, will random X work? It's like, of course it'll work within a certain range of parameters. Of, co of course it will eliminate, you know, uh, ASICs that are 100 X more efficient. Of course it will do that. You know, will it eliminate ASICs that are twice as efficient that part we don't know. So we had uh, Christy uh, Lee on the show the other day. Um, she's, uh, I guess, running the Prague POW project. Um, I know that after that interview, uh, there was some uh, commenting and debate on Reddit, uh, whether or not some of the things she said were, were inaccurate or uh, misleading. Um, I think this would be maybe a good time to switch into that conversation. I think she was even brought up uh, on Sunday as possibly being somebody that we may want to have audit random X. So maybe you guys can comment on whether or not uh, sh she would be a good fit for that. And then she, uh, I, I do think she had some interesting uh, comments or, or way of looking at things. She basically, I guess, in this situation, she would be describing uh, the CPU as the new ASIC in this situation. So basically saying, uh, you know, ASIC as a, um, uh, theoretically, there's always ASICs. So even with, with random X, and if it worked uh, perfectly, uh, the CPU would then essentially become the new ASIC because it's just, uh, you know, can, can mine more efficiently than anything else. Um, so yeah, I guess, what do you, what do you guys thoughts on that interview that we had and uh, anything you guys want to, you want to maybe bring up and um, retort 
Uh, now's the time. Calling something like a toaster or an integrated circuit an ASIC for its own particular use is so reductive that it makes it an almost useless word. Um, re really what we're looking for is a commoditized ASIC, something that's sold in every city that you could go to on the planet and has very little risk of import restriction, etc. Um, and it, just calling everything an ASIC kind of really misses that point. Do you think she's a potential candidate for auditing um, random, random. Uh, I won't speak on that. Howard, you have a, <laughs> Howard, uh, you have an opinion on that? Actually, uh, I know you do, but you want to? Yeah, I've got a few fairly strong opinions. Um, uh, you know, uh, after that interview that you conducted, um, uh, I thought it was wall to wall full of disinformation, and uh, frankly. I don't find her trustworthy. You know, the, the kinds of things that she was saying, she was, she was saying things that she already knew were false the moment she said, them. okay, like the, the whole notion of tying a proof of work algorithm to unique chip IDs, which, which she, you know, throughout early on in the talk is like, now the unique chip IDs are so easily spoofed. You know, even Intel SGX was, which was supposed to be utterly secure, has already been broken. Right, and and she knew that already. You know, she knew that chip IDs are easily spoofed. Right. Um, so, I I would say there was such insincerity in the information she uh, threw out there that that no, I I would not trust her to do an audit. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll put a link in uh, in that video to this section of this video. Uh, Need Money recommended that as well, uh, just to kind of clarify, uh, you know, what was said during that interview, so we could talk about any of the uh, inaccuracies there. So, I mean, do you think there was kind of, there's a motive there, or it's just uh, miss, miss you know. I would have to say, you know, a lot of those things were so obviously wrong. They couldn't have been accidental mistakes. All right. I would say uh, there has to be an agenda there. And, you know, she is part of a company that did produce hardware miners in the past, you know, and uh, I mean, yeah, I, I would say she's got an interest. She's got, uh, well, she obviously has an agenda to promote ProgPow in the Ethereum space right so there is a lot going on there that uh, i don't think was admitted up front um, the the whole you know the whole notion like need money already touched on that everything is an asic all right again i think that was intentional disinformation yet you know it dilutes the word down to the point of meaninglessness right i mean it's true that every hardware company says all of their products are asics because they view every product as a specific application, right? But that's, uh, again, so meaningless, especially in this discussion, in this context, we know what we are talking about when we say the word ASIC is a fixed function mining chip, right? That is what everybody is talking about when they use that word. Um, so, you know, to say, oh, everything's an ASIC, that, that's just sowing confusion, you know, that's FUD essentially. And most of what she was talking was just intentional FUD. Was there anything else in particular she brought up um, that you guys want to talk about? 
I, I shut off <laughs> the video after she mentioned uh, tying proof of work to uh, chip IDs. I, I I was not able to continue watching past that point. So I, if there's anything else that needs to be dispelled past there, I have no clue. Yeah, you know, there were there were tons of points there. You know, uh, she mentioned something about oh, there's only two CPU manufacturers in the world. And it's like, hey, yeah, not really. You know, IBM still makes power chips. You know, Oracle still makes Spark. Obviously, there's dozens of manufacturers building ARM chips. Um, so to say that, uh, you know, s focusing on CPUs would actually have a centralizing effect on the network, again, that's, that's nonsense. You know, uh, CPUs are already widely distributed across the world. You know, most people already own at least five or six of them scattered across their laptop, desktop, and phones, right? So they, they're already ubiquitous. And uh, there, that's a ubiquity that, you know, even if ASICs were in every electronic shop on the planet tomorrow, they still couldn't match the distribution that we get from the CPUs right now. It's yeah. a very good point. Tevador, do you have any uh, remarks on this topic? Yes, well, um, I think Howard mentioned most of the uh, important important points. Uh, calling CPU an ASIC may be technically correct, but it's misleading in this situation because uh, ASIC resistant, uh, we are not building uh, random X to uh, be resistant to uh, any integrated circuit or a particular integrated circuit. We're building it to match uh, hardware which is already present in everyone's home in many data centers across the world uh, and wide, widely distributed, unlike specialized chips which are produced by unregulated companies uh, and cannot even be bought. Um, how about the the, the uh, I think Nima, you just you touched on a little bit, but this idea she brought up about uh, you know kind of the Internet of Things uh, would essentially be mining Monero in the future. Um, you know your 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 smart TV, your smart refrigerator. Is that something that's uh... no? That's not realistic in my opinion. Uh, the only thing that makes sense is something that's expected to be burning energy anyway, so that would be heating. Um, expecting a device to be able to uh, mine at a profit when you have large-scale mining facilities with low-cost electricity available elsewhere, I, I think is a fairly silly argument. They're, they're not going to be breaking even, and from that perspective, they probably shouldn't be mining if they're an IoT device. Um, so uh, as we wrap it up here, I mean, what do you guys, so I, I think this is great. I think we covered, uh, you know, sun, what happened on Sunday really well, where we're, where we're headed. Uh, what, what is the, I mean, I mean, the ultimate goal, I guess, is, uh, we have a network that's mined by, um, non-centralized computers all around the world. 
Um, if possible. If possible. So a- any other remarks on the, on, the, on the big general concept there of where we're trying to get? I think I've uh, expressed everything I wanted to. The, there was a mention of, you know, like large data centers or, you know, big server farms being able to, you know, blow away the network. And um, I, I guess that's kind of similar to the whole botnet argument, you know. Um, and in, in both cases, it doesn't turn out to be that realistic. You know, it, for example, if you say, uh, you know, Oak Ridge National Lab is going to have the supercomputer with 50,000 x86 cores in it and, you know, 100,000 GPUs in it. And all they'd have to do is decide to start mining Monero and they could overrun the network. Um, again, it's not really realistic in the first place. If, if you look at the numbers, you know, one supercomputer really isn't enough to, to counterbalance every other miner that's currently on the network today. The other thing is... <laughs> These supercomputers are busy 24-7. You know, they have researchers who have signed up on a wait list to use them, and they've been waiting for 12 months or 18 months just to get project time on these machines. So it's not like they're going to have this idle time where suddenly they can switch to mining Monero. It's just just not going to happen. Another question, too, actually... um this concept of potentially using uh, multiple proof-of-work algorithms at once. Do you guys have any comment there on the, uh, the feasibility of that or the reasons why that would or wouldn't make sense? That's currently under discussion, um, but I would say that the consensus is far from uh, settled. Yeah, no, nobody has demonstrated that they can do it safely yet. You know, they, they have demonstrated that they can do it poorly and, and get hacked. So, And what, what would be the, the goal with that? And what, what is the, uh, the, would be the purpose of doing that? I think the suggested goal is uh, to allow GPUs to still be um, ultra-competitive. So we're not. So we're not just. So we're not just CPU mining. Uh, we're CPU and GPU mining. Right. Okay. Let's see. I just want to see if there's any uh, big questions we missed in the in the chat here. Tevador, do you have any comment on this uh, dual proof of work um, concept? Well, the main reason why uh, it might seem counterintuitive, but Dual proof of work is actually less safe than single algorithm because it gives the the, the attacker can choose which uh, of the algorithms to attack and if if the cost of obtaining hash rate is not exactly the same between the two algorithms then this gives an advantage to any attacker right out of the bat. That's interesting. Do you guys uh, have any comment on that? Oh, he's exactly right. You know, um, when you have multiple algorithms running in parallel, 
you know, you, you're actually multiplying your attack surface. You know, you're not making the system stronger. You're making it much weaker. And, and to that to that point, the intention of choosing a dual proof of work algorithm would explicitly be to protect uh, the profits of the GPU miners. Um, I, I can see very little reason to adopt a dual proof of work algorithm other than that, uh, with with random X in the pipeline. All right. I guess we'll see what comes of that. Um, this was a great talk. Thank you guys for all coming on and agreeing to do it at this time. I know you're kind of all in different places of the world. Um, uh, I'm, you know, tuning in on Sunday and watching what transpired uh, in in the IRC chat. Uh, it was great just to just to watch it uh, for two hours and just see the 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 great minds of Monero kind of uh, come to consensus on on how we should be moving forward um and overall i think everything was kind of positive there wasn't I, I didn't see any like real trolling there or anything uh so hopefully things continue to stay like that in 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 those terms um yeah any any closing remarks from you guys i, I think this is great I, I i'm excited to see uh random x implemented in and hopefully in october um and uh yeah uh, thank you guys for all your hard work. And if you have any further comments, uh, now's the time. It's been great being on the show, Doug. I, I really appreciate the work that you're doing. Uh, it's pretty interesting watching your uh, discussion of the cross-section of the Monero community. Thank you. Yeah, I wish I could do a better job. Um, I'm not as technical as all you guys, uh, but I'm, I'm trying to kind of be that bridge to Joe Schmo Monero, which is uh, kind of like myself. Um, but yeah, any any other comments, guys? Hey, thanks for having me on the show again. Uh, always good to be able to throw thoughts out there. Devador? Yes, thank you for inviting me. And uh, if people want to follow the development of RandomX, they can find the discussion on GitHub. All right. Yes. Thank you for all your hard work and thank you for coming on. I should uh, mention, go ahead. Uh, just GitHub or the Monero POW channel, Monero-POW on Freenode IRC is where a lot of the discussion happens. Okay. Um, I just need to mention the ma magical crypto conference that I'll be attending and there will be Monero folk there, obviously Fluffy Pony. Uh, I'll be there. I'll be trying to do as many Monero related interviews as possible. So looking forward to that. That's coming up in May. It will be in New York city, which is where I'm located anyway. And then there's the big Monero conference in Denver. Uh, are you, any of you guys attending that? Uh, yes, I will be attending the conference. Oh, great. Look forward to meeting you there. Yeah. And I should be there as well. Fantastic. Tevador, are you going to any of these? Unfortunately, I will not be attending. Okay. Well, uh, once again, thank you guys and look forward to meeting you guys in, in person. Thanks, oh, Jeff. hang on a second. We oh, we, we were we were uh, we have to give a shout out to Medusa for, for monitoring oh, yes. the, the chat tonight. Thank you, Medusa. All right. Thank you, Medusa. All right. All right, guys, I'm gonna wrap it up. Thank you so much. We'll be in touch. Good night.